A well-to-do mother said to her debutante daughter, The trouble with you is you don't take these social affairs seriously. You see, it's the day of the big party to celebrate the acquisition of a famous painting called After the Hunt by Bogard. Invited to the party is a famous explorer who has just returned from Africa, and he brings along his secretary. To provide music for the party, an Italian musician has been hired, and he brings along his partner known as the professor. These four, of course, are played by the four brothers called Marx. Now, I might be going out on a limb here, and what I'm saying might be taken as a bit controversial, but the way I see it, these Marx brothers were pretty damn funny. There, I said it. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They had 500 years of democracy and peace, and what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Two dollars multipass. You're stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can. And sing at the same time. Listen. There's a scene in the Woody Allen film Hannah and Her Sisters in which Woody's character Mickey is going through an existential crisis and wants to commit suicide. After a failed attempt, he walks into a movie theater which is playing the film Duck Soup. As he watches, he comes to the realization that life should be enjoyed rather than understood. Hello, my name is Jeff Kelly and welcome to the 18th episode of Celluloid Days, a podcast of film and film history. Today is the second Monday of the month and that means I'm going to talk about one of my favorite films. In this episode... We're going to talk about Animal Crackers, the hilarious and wonderful Marx Brothers film from 1930. The first five Marx Brothers films, The Coconuts, Animal Crackers, Monkey Business, Horse Feathers, and Duck Soup, to me are something special. They are the five they did at Paramount before leaving for MGM and Irving Thalberg. Although the films after Paramount were funny, they didn't have the brilliant, crazy, insane chaos of the first five. I do find films like A Night at the Opera and A Day at the Races very funny, and they do have better stories, but they lack the insanity and surrealism that I enjoy so much of the early ones. But before we get started, I want to talk about the myth that MGM and Thalberg saved the brothers, that their last film... For Paramount, Duck Soup was a bomb. That's a story that Groucho told later on, but the truth was the brothers were planning on leaving Paramount after Horse Feathers because Paramount was ripping them off money-wise. They had a three-pitcher deal but walked out. Eventually, they agreed to make one more pitcher, which would become Duck Soup, and by doing so, Paramount would release them from their contract. Duck Soup, by the way, was the sixth highest grossing film of 1933. Now, in 1929, the time the Marx Brothers made their first film, The Coconuts, they were already stars on Broadway. Both Coconuts and Animal Crackers were originally stage musicals. They made both films during the day while appearing on stage at night. Also, two days a week, they were required to perform in matinees, limiting their time to work on the film. And it must have been quite a challenge. In fact, in Coconuts, during the famous Why a Duck sequence, it seemed that Groucho almost called Chico Ravelli, 
which is Chico's character in Animal Crackers. That's the problem of doing two stories at the same time, I guess. And there's a story that after the brothers saw the first film, The Coconuts, they were so horrified they tried to buy the negative back and prevent it from being released. I think being stage performers, they were so used to hearing the audience's laughter and playing off that, they didn't think their performances on film were very funny. But it turned out that The Coconuts were one of the highest grossing films of the early sound era. So they went on to do Animal Crackers based on their stage play. Both The Coconuts and Animal Crackers were filmed in New York at Paramount's Astoria Studios, and both were based on plays written by George S. Kaufman. Both were shot more like stage plays, which wasn't necessarily because the director didn't know any better, but probably were a result of the camera being used. You see, this was in the early days of sound, and to prevent noise from the camera from being picked up by the microphones, the camera was enclosed in a soundproof box with a glass front, and this made camera movements very hard to do. In Animal Crackers, there's a few times where the camera dallies in, and it looks really rough. But you know, in a way, it worked for the Marx Brothers. I think the simplicity of the direction lets the comedy of the brothers shine through. story about a large home in Long Island in which a party will display a valuable painting after the hunt, recently acquired by Roscoe W. Chandler, played by Louis Soren. Chandler will later be revealed as A.B. the fish peddler from Czechoslovakia. The home is owned by Mrs. Rittenhouse, played by the one and only Margaret Dumont. She has an adorable daughter, Arabella, played by Lillian Roth. I'm guessing she's supposed to be in her late teens or early 20s, maybe. I don't think it's ever specified. But she has a fiancé, John Parker, played by Hal Thomason, who is a struggling painter. Arabella thinks that having one of John's paintings, a copy of After the Hunt, switched with the more famous one, people will see that he is a great artist. I'm not really sure about the logic in that, but logic doesn't matter when it comes to the Marx Brothers. One of the main guests Mrs. Rittenhouse invites is Captain Jeffrey Spaulding, played by Groucho. He's a famous explorer who's just returned from Africa. Captain Spaulding's secretary, Horatio Jameson, is played by Zeppo. To provide music for the party, Emmanuel Ravelli has been hired. What do you fellas get an hour? Oh, for playing we get $10 an hour. I see. What do you get for not playing? $12 an hour. Well, clip me off a piece of that. Now, for rehoising, we make special rate. That's a $15 an hour. That's for rehoising? That's for rehoising. And what do you get for not rehoising? You couldn't afford it. He's played by Chico, and his partner, the professor, is played by the amazing Harpo. Of course, Ravelli gets paid more for not playing. (laughs) And that's the basic setup of the plot. It's not really important. It really isn't. The plots of these early movies are just an excuse for the four brothers to do their comedy bits. And as far as their gags go, Animal Crackers has some of their best. 
The film opens with two of their best-remembered tunes, Hello, I Must Be Going and Hooray for Captain Spaulding, both written by Bert Kelmer and Harry Ruby. I'll attend to you later. Don't try to pull that. Why, you're one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen, and that's not saying much for you. Captain Spaulding, Rittenhouse Manor is entirely at your disposal. Well, I'm certainly grateful for this magnificent washout, a turnout, and uh, now I'd like to say a few words. Hello? I must be going. I cannot stay. I came to say I must be going. I'm glad I came, but just the same, I must be going. La la. For my sake, you must stay. If you should go away, you'd spoil this party. I am through it. I'll stay a week or two. I'll stay the summer through. But I am telling you, I must be away. But after the introduction of each brother, we get Harpo alone. This scene tells us, as the audience, that reality must be ignored. Harpo grabs a gun and at one point shoots a statue of two people. The statue comes to life and shoots back. If there was any doubt, now we know we're going on a surreal ride. Now one thing about this film, and many of the early films, some of the jokes are based on popular events from the era. Like there's one scene at the beginning where Groucho is talking to Margaret Dumont and Margaret Irving, and then suddenly goes into a strange interlude. Pardon me while I have a strange interlude. Why, you couple of baboons? What makes you think I'd marry either one of you? Strange how the wind blows tonight. It has a thin, eerie voice that reminds me of poor old Marsden. How happy I could be with either of these two if both of them just went away. Well, what do you say, girls? What do you say, will you marry me? But, Captain, which one of us? Both of you, let's all get married. This is my party. I always loved this scene because it seemed so peculiar. But later, I discovered that it was a parody of a Eugene O'Neill play that was popular at the time called Strange Interlude from 1928. It was a play in which the characters expressed their most inner thoughts directly to the audience. Groucho's first interlude is a parody of John Gay's The Beggar's Opera. In his last interlude, he quotes the stock market before rolling his eyes. Now at the time, Groucho was having a bad time, having lost all his money in the stock market crash of 1929. It said he suffered from bouts of depression as well as insomnia. NPR's Robert Smith said on an interview with Melissa Block, Over six days at the end of October 1929, the stock market plunged by a third. Groucho Marx later recalled the exact words from his financial advisor. Marx, he said, the jig is up. Groucho lost a quarter of a million dollars. He later joked that he would have lost more, but that was all the money he had. Harpo was also wiped out. And to add to the brothers' misery, their beloved mother, Minnie Marx, their guiding light and the one that managed the group, passed away after a stroke. Yet some of the best Marx Brothers lines came from this film, such as... As I say, I was sitting in front of the cabin when I bagged six tigers. Oh, Captain, the biggest Captain, ti- did you catch six tigers? I bagged them. I, I bagged them to go away, but they hung around all afternoon. They were the most persistent tigers I've ever seen. And look, to anybody out there who does an imitation of Groucho, 
and they do lines like it is very interesting to watch them come to the water hole and you should see them run when they find it is only a water hole what they're looking for is an alcohol one morning i shot an elephant in my pajamas how he got in my pajamas i don't know then we try to remove the tusks the tusks that's not so easy to say, tusks. You try that sometimes. Oh, simple tusks. Pardon me, my name is Spaulding. I've always wanted to meet you, Mr. Chandler. As I say, we try to remove the tusks, but they were embedded in so firmly that we couldn't budge them. Of course, in Alabama, the Tuscaloosa. But uh, that's entirely irrelevant to what I was talking about. Don't. I've never seen anybody do it justice, and that includes you, Gabe Kaplan. It's like imitations of Judy Holliday from Born Yesterday. It's never quite right. I think one of my favorite scenes is when Chick goes at the piano and, and he and Groucho have an exchange. I can't think of the finish. That's strange, and I can't think of anything else. You know what I think? I think I went past it. Well, if you come around again, jump off. Once kept this up for three days. You wouldn't consider a hush money, would you? I can't get him now. I got a way of inspiration. About time. There's also a marvelous bit in which Groucho talks to Louis Soren. Louis gets Captain Spaulding's name wrong at one bit. And I have read that this was a real mistake, but both men went with it. Groucho even talks to the audience and acknowledges the error. Well, uh, well, tell me, Captain uh, Chandler. Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Spaulding is Spalding. the name. Spaulding, yeah. that's Spalding. right. Yeah. I'm Spaulding and you're Chandler. Yeah. Let's have no more of that either, eh? Oh. Bad enough being Spaulding. Well, tell me, Captain Spaulding. Uh, Spaulding is the name, That's yes? right, that's Spalding. right. Yes. I'm, I'm Chan. No, I, no. I'm Spaulding. Spaulding? Can I look at a program a minute? I might be the News Weekly, for all he knows, or coming next week. But it's time for me to take a break from my ramblings, and let's hear what Nancy has to say. And it's good to have Nancy back this week. Take it away, Nancy. Hello, folks. This is just going to be a short opinion piece today. Another Nancy's natterings, I guess. Because I'm guessing Jeff is going to cover everything else. Anyway, you've probably heard of the humor metric that goes something like, Guys find the Three Stooges funny, but women don't. There's some logic in that, but what I don't get are people who say, Oh, I love Laurel and Hardy, but not the Marx Brothers, the subject of today's episode. I, myself, have always loved the Marx Brothers. Now, I may be old, but I'm not that old. I didn't see them in the theater back in the day. I first ran into the Brothers Marx on PBS Weekend Movie Offerings, often on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon when I wasn't outside playing Six Million Dollar Man with my pals. Like a classic Warner Brothers cartoon, most of the jokes went way over my head back then. But I still loved the characters. I loved the 1920s and 30s settings, and I liked the rapid-fire banter. I just liked their attitude. Animal Crackers isn't really their best movie. It's only the second one they ever made. But it's funny enough and a nice look at an early film industry. As is typical of early filmmaking, you can see that directors didn't really know how to take advantage of the freedom a camera affords 
Much of Animal Crackers looks like a stage production shot in situ, so it should be no surprise to learn that this was a vaudeville act, then a Broadway musical before it was a movie. There are a lot of set up the scene and roll film shots with very long takes where the camera just doesn't move. People wander in and out of frame, and the chorus of extras unceremoniously stand and sing like they're in a big opera. What is polished to perfection is the performance of the lead actors. What better rehearsal protocol than just perform your material before a live audience for months, and sometimes years, before committing it to film? This also explains pauses where they were obviously holding for laughs that they were used to getting from an audience. I'm guessing the laughs happened with the theater crowds too, so the pauses were probably not in vain. Of all the five brothers, don't forget Gummo, my favorite was Harpo. That guy was so expressive and such a body-aware actor that he mesmerized me. Then, of course, he was also a musician, which I could appreciate. Sometime in my late 20s, I read his autobiography, which I highly recommend, by the way. It's called Harpo Speaks, and it's by Harpo. It gave me a whole new appreciation for these guys, and especially Harpo. They grew up poor on the Upper East Side of New York City. They were small boys, probably partially as a result of malnutrition at a young age, but they were strong and resilient. They had some crazy childhood memories, like a carriage pulling up to their brownstone on voting day to take dad and grandpa and all their uncles to vote multiple times. Harpo and Chico, not their given names, of course, were close in age, and Harpo actually looked a lot like Chico when he wasn't wearing that ridiculous ginger wig. One of Chico's first jobs was playing piano in a whorehouse. Unfortunately, Chico preferred gambling and other pursuits and would often send Harpo in his place. Chico was an accomplished pianist even then, and while Harpo loved music all his life and became proficient on many instruments, later... Back then, he only knew two songs. It didn't take long for the boss to realize he had a cheap substitute pianist some days. Oh well, it was a good gig for a while. Harpo was a collector of all kinds of musical instruments, not just harps, and he played them all. I've always been a music nut, too. When I came home from kindergarten and stood at the piano and picked out songs I'd learned that day, my mom hurriedly signed me up for piano lessons. During that time, I remember visiting my great-grandma, who passed away before I was out of single digits. She had this elaborate pump organ from the 19th century. I loved to spin the stool seat, like Harpo does at the piano in today's movie. Great-grandma had made a cushion for hers. It was red velvet with black chainette fringe, and if I spun it really fast, the fringe would fly out straight like a can-can dancer's skirt. I was so small, I had to stand to play that organ, pumping a pedal with one foot, which gave a very wheezy result. I was very determined, though, and I loved trying all the different stops. That organ later went to my grandma, and when she passed away, it went to my mom. There was a music book of old standards, printed, looks like, in the 40s, that resided in the music cubby behind the book stand above the stops and the keyboard of that organ. One day, when I was visiting Grandma, I took the time to look at the book plate in the front and saw, in Great Grandma's spidery cursive hand, 
This organ belonged to Harpo Marx. What? Apparently, Harpo had a garage sale or something, and Great Grandma picked up the organ on a trip to California, or something. I never did get the whole story, but I have no reason to doubt its veracity. That organ is now mine. It still plays beautifully, and it's not only a connection to my grandmother's, but also to Harpo. It always brightens my day to spend some time with it, just as those old Marx Brothers movies always do. Thanks, Nancy. And that's pretty cool that you have Harpo's organ. Amazing that you get to play that all the time. The only comment I'll make was about the camera work. Um, I don't think it was because they didn't know how to do decent camera work. In late in the silent era, there was some amazing camera work. It was just that this was in the early, early days of sound. I mean, the first complete sound movie was only two years before. And adding the sound equipment really restricted the way they could film a movie. Anyway, again, thanks a lot. As far as the cast, many of them were in the original Broadway production, including Margaret Dumont and Robert Craig. Robert Craig plays Hive the Butler. Now, Margaret Dumont. Brilliant and elegant. She was in seven of the Marx Brothers films. Groucho would often say she was the fifth Marx Brother. And Groucho would say later in his career that Margaret didn't understand the jokes. I think that might have been Groucho just trying to be funny in his later years. But historians generally agree that Margaret got the jokes. She always called Groucho Julie, never Groucho. And she knew exactly why she was in their productions. Not only to be a foil to Groucho, but also to break up the rapid-fire jokes. To give the audience a chance to laugh. She once said, Script writers build up the laughs, but they didn't allow for any pauses in it. That's where I come in. I ad-lib. It doesn't matter what I say. Just to kill a few seconds so you can enjoy the gag. I have to sense when a big laugh will come and fill in, or the audience will drown out the next gag with its own laughter. I am not a stooge. I'm a straight lady. There's an art to playing straight. You must build up your man, but never top him. Never steal the laughs from him. Margaret Dumont was born on October 20th, 1882 as Daisy Juliet Baker. She trained as an opera singer and actress in her teens and began performing on stage in the U.S. and Europe. At first she used the name Daisy Dumont and later changed it to Margaret Dumont. It was theater producer Sam H. Harris who recommended her to the Marx Brothers and writer George S. Kaufman for the role of the wealthy Mrs. Potter in their Broadway production of The Coconuts. In my opinion, she was as important to the success of the Brothers' film career as was the four of them. And when you think about it, she was in seven of their films, while Zeppo was only in five. I haven't timed it out, but I think she almost has more screen time than Zeppo in Animal Crackers. Though I do think Groucho was a bit crueler to her in this film than in later films, but I wonder if he watched it and said, I should tone that down. Now, speaking of Zeppo, I don't think he gets enough credit. He was the youngest of the brothers and also the last to die. His real name was Herbert Manfred Marx, and he never wanted to be in show business. But when Gummo, who also never liked being on the stage, joined the army during World War I, their mother, Minnie, insisted he replace Gummo because she wanted the act to remain a foursome. 
he was known to do a great imitation of all his brothers and would often fill in for their parts on stage when they couldn't make it. There's a story that when Groucho was in the hospital for an appendicitis in Chicago, Zeppo played Captain Spaulding in Animal Crackers. Groucho later said, He was so good as Captain Spaulding in Animal Crackers that I would have let him play the part indefinitely if they would have allowed me to smoke in the audience. But of course, he was always overshadowed by his brothers. On the stage, however, he was able to do a lot of singing, but when it came to the films, the plays had to be shortened, and his songs apparently were the first to go. It didn't really matter, however, because Zeppo never wanted to be part of the act, and I guess with Mother now gone, he had, even by the time of Animal Crackers, decided to get out. When the contract with Paramount was up, Zeppo was done, and it was a bit of a big deal at the time. They were known as the Four Marx Brothers, and there were even rumors in the press that they were going to bring back Gummo. Of course, Gummo had no desire to come back, and some wondered if they could survive as a threesome. I think the Marx Brothers needed Zeppo, the good-looking one, and they were never quite the same when he left. Though, once gone, he had a great success, both as an engineer and a theatrical agent. Lillian Roth plays Abrabella Rittenhouse, the daughter of Mrs. Rittenhouse. Roth had a career as both a singer and actress that began on Broadway when she was just seven years old. Now the story goes that Paramount head B.P. Schulberg cast her in Animal Crackers as a punishment for being difficult while making Cecil B. DeMille's Madam Satan in 1930. Schulberg told Roth, We're sending you back to New York to be kicked in the rear by the Marx Brothers until you learn to behave. She's great in the film, but unfortunately, she suffered from alcoholism, and I assume that's why she was married six times, most of the marriages lasting less than a couple of years. Apparently, she had a very troubled life. Now, I've made it abundantly clear that I really like this film, and I could really talk about it for a long, long time. But of course, I wonder, does everybody agree with me? The film gets an 89% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, which is good. It's not where it should be, but it's good. Brian C. gave it 5 out of 5 stars, and he wrote, Their second movie. They're young and at the top of their game. There are some pre-code one-liners. Yes, you have to sit through the love story and the musical numbers, but it's totally worth it. I agree, Brian, except that part about they were young. I mean, Groucho was 40 when they made this movie. Uh, I guess it's a relative term. A guy named Craig I also gave it 5 out of 5 stars and wrote, A classic! How could you not rate this 5 out of 5? I agree, but of course, some people just don't get it. Steve N. gave it 2 stars and wrote, I managed to get through a large chunk of my life without ever seeing a Marx Brothers movie, and now I know why. I want to believe I struggled with this vaudevillian flavor of comedy because of the era from whence it came, but in my heart, I know it isn't so. Yeah, kids today. Am I right, people? Come on, who's with me? There's somebody named Liz who uses a less than sign for a last name. And she's a super reviewer, according to Rotten Tomatoes. She also gave it two stars. 
I'm sure this movie was considered the peak of hilarity, but I couldn't find this one joke pause another unrelated joke, no plot slapstick movie funny. But sorry, I'm just not a Marx Brothers fan. Now I read that exactly as Liz wrote it. But Liz, I'd be interested in knowing just what kind of movies you do find funny. And I had a bit here I wrote about Adam Sandler, but I think I'll let that go. Put it in a box and mark it uh, for Gilly. Mark it what? Mark it for Gilly. F-R-A-G. Look it up, Jamison. It's in the dictionary. Look under fragile. Look under the table if you don't find it there. Now, as far as director Victor Herman, it must have been a tough job for any director to work with the Marx Brothers. It, I assume, was a daunting task. And it is said that the production of Animal Crackers took four weeks, but Lillian Roth claimed it took a lot longer. In one interview, she said 16 weeks. Now, director Herman hired four assistant directors, one for each brother, to help wrangle them in, and to keep watch over them, as it was almost impossible to get them all together at the same time. He actually had their dressing rooms painted like prison cells. In the commentary on the Blu-ray of Animal Crackers by Jeffrey Vance, Jeffrey tells the story of a disagreement early on between the director and the brothers, along with screenwriter Maury Riskin. When producer Walter Wrangler asked Herman how it was going, Herman said, We can't get to first base. They want to do one thing and I want to do animal crackers. I'm not interested in doing a musical because it's not a musical. It's a funny picture and I won't do it. If that is it, I'll go home. So they all met to iron things out and the Marx Brothers showed up with boxing gloves and pails of water as if this was going to be a boxing match. Herman, instead of fighting, came up with an idea. He wanted to do a screen test to see what worked. When they showed several key comedy scenes to test audiences, the crowd howled with laughter. Later, Groucho said to Herman, Now look, you know your business, and we don't know your business. We know our business. Now any son of a bitch that argues with you, send them to me. After that, Herman never had a problem with the brothers. In fact, according to Herman in the book Monkey Business, The Lives and Legends of the Marx Brothers by Simon Lovish, each brother came up to him separately and told him not to put up with any talk from the other three. Off camera, they were impossible, but on the set, they were professional and listened to instructions. Chico was the most problematic. They often couldn't find him as he would be out gambling. Chico loved to gamble. Now, if I had one criticism of the film, it would be the ending. It's sort of lame. From what I read, the original play ended with a big song, but that was cut for time. Though it is nice to see Harpo be the last one standing. And it's sort of fitting that it ends in silence. Now, luckily, the film we see today was in its original form. This was a pre-code film, which means it was made before the Hayes Code took effect. But in later showings, many lines were forced to be cut, including Groucho saying, I think I'll try to make her, and other sexually suggestive jokes. We took some pictures of the native girls, but they weren't developed. But we're going back again in a couple of weeks. A and very show- electric speech, Captain. Very Who are you? What have holding? Do you want me to scratch, Elsie? Well, if you enjoy that sort of thing, it's quite all right with me. However, I'm not interested in your private affairs, Jameson. And back then, when they made changes to a film, they would chop up the original negative and just 
throw away the excise pieces. Horrible, right? Yeah. Luckily for us, a second negative in its original form was found in the UK. They didn't have restrictions like we had in the US. And that negative was discovered at the British Film Institute. And the film you see today is a 4K scan of that negative. Dumont wasn't just in Marx Brothers films. She had been a stage actress but retired when she married. After her husband passed away, after only eight years of marriage, she returned to the stage and then made her way to movies. She was in 50 other films besides those of the brothers, both comedies and dramas. Her last film role was that of Shirley MacLaine's mother, Mrs. Foster, in What a Way to Go in 1964. On February 26, 1965, she appeared with Groucho on the program The Hollywood Palace. The two performed material from Captain Spaulding's introductory scene in Animal Crackers, including the song Hooray for Captain Spaulding. You can find that on YouTube. She died just eight days later of a heart attack. You know, watching these movies, I always think, what must the stage productions of these been like? I mean, they were longer... They improvised a lot more. I've read that no two show was ever the same. They played off the audience a lot. It's sort of a shame that we have no idea what those were like. I mean, people have dressed up like the Marx Brothers and tried to recreate them over time, but I don't think it could be the same. Now, next week, we're going to talk about a movie recommended by a listener. This movie is from 1982 when it was called Liquid Sky. I've never heard of it. I've watched the trailer, and I have no idea what to expect. The full movie is on YouTube, and I'll be watching it soon, and I will give you my thoughts, and hopefully Nancy will give you hers. Anyway, hey, listen up. We have a Facebook page. We would love to read your comments. It's called Celluloid Days. Please join us. I also have a Twitter account. It's at Celluloid underscore Days. And you know, I'm always looking for film suggestions. The more strange and unusual, the better. The email for the show is daysofcelluloid at gmail.com. Feel free to email me there. Days of Celluloid is all one word. You can even email me just to say hi. Let me know you're out there. If you could leave me a review, hopefully a good one, at wherever you stream this podcast, I'd be forever grateful. Thanks, Nancy, for contributing today. That was really interesting stuff. And to all of you, thanks for listening. Take care, and I'll be back next Monday. Bye. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? 
They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas multipass. Multi-pass. Yeah. Multi-pass. Multi-pass. You know it's multi-pass. Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can. And sing.